I'm Natalia Loback, and this is Change Course. In groups and out groups. Thinking back to last week's episode on power, influence, and culture, and talking about the summer camp experience. One of the things that we experienced this summer was a summer camp experience that involved bullying. And this was specifically the use of in-groups and out-groups to influence power and create a power structure among a very poorly supervised group of five to seven-year-old boys. So interestingly, what this bullying looked like wasn't the type of behavior that you would encounter with schoolyard bullying or the typical sort of escalations that you might see. In fact, there were very few or very little escalations at all. Most of what was happening resembled more like what I would see in toxic cultures or toxic organizations among adults. So truth is that we don't change much. Humans are humans. We are tribal uh, in nature. We like power and we like, if we don't have power, we like to be affiliated with power. It's important to us and it's part of how human nature is and how our social organizations are. Unfortunately, when you have a power locus that is poorly structured or weak, for example, poor supervision by teenagers in a day camp, um, you start to get some of the, these behaviors or things cropping up amongst the group because there isn't reinforcement of the acceptable behaviors or acceptable cultures um, that you want to see. And so what's interesting is that this little window into culture has been an interesting observation or teaching point of my summer experience. So there were other camp experiences that were extremely inclusive and egalitarian and uh, really child-centered and quite excellent. Um, And there were significant differences in the way that these organizations were conducting and organizing themselves. So when we talk about toxic cultures in the workplace, this is another example of how culture is driven from the top down. I talked about this a lot during Culture Month. If you haven't caught up on those episodes, do that because it picks apart some of these elements in a bit more detail. But the important thing to note is that culture is by design, number one, and number two, it is leadership driven. And in that leadership component, culture is defined by two things. One is the culture you are seeking to make, 
So what you are doing to reinforce that desired culture. And then on the other side, what you are tolerating, what you are ignoring, what you are explicitly or implicitly accepting in order to reinforce that culture. And so it's often on this acceptance or you know, desire to not intervene, maybe fear of conflict, where you see some of these poor behaviors cropping up. So some of the things that you'll know you're you're going to encounter, you're going to notice in the workplace is when toxic cultures crop up, it's often over time, it's reinforced by leadership, and it escalates over a period of time. So cultures never really start out that way. Um, there's always a period of incubation and then escalation that I've seen in my personal experience. So, you know, some of the examples of toxic culture that I've experienced were, um, you know, I was on a team of individuals and the leader of that team was very would display very hot and cold behaviors. So um, favoritism, there was always one person who was a favorite of the week or favorite of the day, you would follow to favor and all of a sudden somebody else would be in favor. Um, And so there was always this scrambling to be the person who was in favor. And the types of behaviors that were displayed towards the people who were out of favor were things like uh, ignoring... um, uh, you know, lots of negative body language, rolling of eyes, dismissive um, language and tone of voice. But you see, all of these things are very subtle, right? Um, so you never necessarily have anything to uh, talk about specifically or, you know, raise to an authority or whatever. And it's always coming from the top down. So it's very difficult to challenge authority in those situations. Um, Another place where I've encountered it was with um, this, you know, in groups and out groups. So the leader having a very um, solid group around them that they had brought with them from a previous organization that included friends of theirs. And so even if you were in a position that had a title, a certain title, um, and the friends of the leader were in a lower position and had a different title, the, you could really see that the titles didn't matter. It was all about who had that affiliation and who was in that inner circle um, gathered around that leader. And that leader used um, ostracization, exclusion, uh, negative body language, um, leaving people out of meetings, leaving people out of conversations, ignoring, cutting people off. These types of microaggressions, these types of subtle things that were constantly happening, um, antisocial type behaviors that then would drive this toxic culture. So what happens then is you see those behaviors being repeated and driven in the peer-to-peer level. So they are demonstrated and reinforced by the leader, and then you see them playing out at the peer-to-peer level. And they are tolerated. Um, They are often reinforced and accepted and even favored by those in power because they maintain that power structure. Now, I will 
you know, I could talk at length about why or how this is related to power and the orientation or the insecurity of the leader around power. Um, you know, often these things are driven by insecurity. Uh, sometimes they're driven by other things, but you could see those things playing out, um, mainly because it had to do with a weakness or a vulnerability of the leader themselves, but not always. Sometimes it's just the way people think they have to operate in a business. Um, but a lot of times it can be, you know, coming from vulnerability. The way that I, it's sometimes difficult to spot a toxic culture. A lot of the times, if you are a person working in that environment, you can feel like the frog in the pot of boiling water as as things you know bubble up um you don't really notice how hot and awful it's getting around you until maybe you have um you know experience in a different place or a different culture or looking at things differently uh then you can have a sense of perspective and say oh the situation that i'm in is actually quite awful um and many of us have experienced toxic cultures and for many reasons um you know have to stick it out uh Lots of people have to stay in jobs because they need an income or they have to support their family or for various other reasons. Uh, so sometimes you don't always have the agency to get yourself out as quickly as you might want to. So for those of you who may be experiencing this, um, be kind to yourself, forgive yourself if you have not been able to find a way out just yet. Uh, from the perspective of you know, a staff person, someone who's experiencing um, the culture, this toxicity, it's very, very difficult to change from the bottom up. And often there are people in authority who are either blind to or who are either turning a blind eye to what's happening because there are some inherent benefits to it. And they don't want to change it either because they don't want to upset the leader. Maybe they are afraid themselves. There could be many reasons. Um, honestly, the best way to deal with toxic culture is just to get out of it and find somewhere else to go. Um, but that's not always, um, that is not always an option. So how do you spot it? Um, typically, you will find toxic culture when there's a high power distance between the leader and the people that they are leading or the leader seeks to develop a very large power distance. And you'll see toxic culture crop up as a way to reinforce this power distance, especially in organizations that have an expectation of a lower power distance. By that, I mean um, having access to leadership, uh, you know, a certain level of egalitarianism um, between staff and their leaders, that kind of stuff. So in cultures where that is the norm, and, you know, a toxic culture props up, you might see that individual in leadership cultivating a larger power distance between them and the people that they're leading. Um, you know, another thing that you can see is, you know, how do people interact with those in authority? Um, and reading body language, really looking at, you know, are people nervous? Um, when you go in to talk to them, what are they saying? asking questions about what is rewarded, what is recognized, um, asking about, 
you know, who do you think the top performer is? And who do you think the leader thinks the top performer is? Um, you can start to sort of see what is happening and occurring. This type of stuff is hard to pick apart in things like broad-based engagement surveys or stuff like that. You you won't be able to find it. It's either buried or people are afraid to tell the truth. Um, you will see uh, as well that people are very uncomfortable with being vulnerable and they're uncomfortable with weakness. Um, not wanting to admit or talk about mistakes is uh, a symptom of toxic culture. Defensiveness among people at every level is another symptom that you might see crop up. I'm curious too, uh, what other symptoms have you seen? And, you know, I've shared a few that I've noticed and that I've seen. I'd be interested to see or hear what you might have to say. So getting back to, you know, this experience of bullying and what that looks like. Much of the workplace bullying or uh, bullying between adults and organizations these days more resembles the types of quiet uh, bullying or quiet exclusion um, and in groups and out groups using those to gain and distribute power within um, within groups of people more more or less represents what we see today. It was very similar to what I noticed was happening in this group of poorly supervised five to seven year old boys. Um, so lots of things like, see, you know, you see it, um, the behaviors, right? Secrets and whispering, visible, right? Visible, but the secrets and whispering. Um, this happens in toxic cultures in adult organizations too. Very similar. Um, as well as, you know, exclusion, um, these types of things, um, maybe, uh, when in group interactions, um, body language, like, you know, little things, right? Not hugely overt things, but little things like rolling eyes, um, cutting people off, uh, not letting people finish what they have to say, only allowing certain people to speak, these are all examples of how these things show up and they show up in our workplaces as well. So, um, you know, one of the things that I always like to go back to because humans haven't changed all that much. Um, we don't change all that much from when we were kids. We just do things in ways that are socially acceptable versus socially unacceptable. So two of the resources that I often go back to are... Um, the books by Rosalind Wiseman. So the ever-present Queen Bees and Wannabes, which was the inspiration for the movie Mean Girls. Another great way to look at how toxic culture shows up. I mean, it's in a movie too. Um, and what is so interesting about that is that it it does two things. The movie does two things, watching it as an adult. One is it draws back to our tribal nature and makes observations from an anthropological perspective, 
on how the behavior of the high school girls uh, in group called the plastics uh, resembles, closely resembles tribal behaviors um, from, you know, humans in various forms uh, in, and from various times, both modern and ancient. So uh, it's a fascinating movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend. It's also hilarious. Um, but it also shows all of those little attractions and little microaggressions that show up um, in these various, uh, you know, in these, in these various uh, places. And the second book that she wrote, was called Mastermind and Wingman. I've linked it as well in the show notes. And it goes through the girl culture on one side, so the queen bees and wannabes, and then the boy culture on the other side. And what's interesting is that the subtle types of bullying and power um, distribution and power, um, you know, aggregation, using exclusion and ostracization and those types of tools to distribute and gain power inside groups of of uh, of humans right that reads more like what quote unquote would be the girl method but often because it's seen as being more socially acceptable because it's not physical, right? Um, you know, you can't go into a workplace and punch someone in the face. Uh, you'll definitely get fired and also um, probably charged with assault, right? Um, so you can't do that. Um, but you, you know, as someone in an organization, there are socially acceptable ways to use these tools, um, and by socially acceptable, I mean ways that are not going to get you incriminated, fired, or called up with HR necessarily because they're intangible um, and they're implicit, right? And they're very hard to pin down. But what I love about Weissman's books is that she describes them very well. And what she writes about in Queen Bees and Wannabes is what I most often see in workplace organizations. It's the same type of patterns. It's the same type of behaviors. So if you've never read it, uh, highly recommend it. If you have never seen Mean Girls and would just like a crash course, watch that movie. It's a great one. Um, you know, grab some popcorn, um, you know, put it on. It's an you know, hour and a half. And it's a great cultural time capsule, but also a really good observation of how these things show up in uh, workplaces as well. So I hope that this was helpful. Uh, and, you know, I have to say that the experience that we had this summer was an isolated one, and I'm really glad that um, we were able to resolve it appropriately. But it does bring into relief and remind me that it's really important, especially in organizations, that leaders are taking accountability and responsibility for the cultures that they are creating. So if you are a leader and you are maybe not doing change in your organization right now, definitely look at the culture that you've been responsible and accountable for creating and what you can do potentially to make that better. If you are a leader who's looking at change, 
you really need to be looking at your culture and how you are going to reap the benefits or experience the deficits of that culture that you have created while you start trying to navigate your way through change. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, I invite you to like, rate, share, and subscribe because it helps others find us. Our music is Levity by Emily Clausen. Change Course can be found wherever you get your podcasts. And we have an accessible version with fully edited captions on YouTube. You can find the link to this version on www.charthouse.ca in the Change Course podcast show notes. While you're visiting us, sign up for the Change Navigator newsletter. We're launching shortly and you'll get a monthly dispatch of all things change and hear about the upcoming launch of ConnectedChange.com. Thank you for listening and remember, it's never too late to change course.